0: Welcome. Here we are. It's the end of the month of August. It's kind of crazy. I hope it's been a good summer for you. And as you join us here online, we're certainly glad you found us today. If this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you and certainly hope it's not going to be your last time. And would invite you to click on the digital connection card up here in the corner and just let us know who you are. And if there's anything we can pray with or for for you, and if you've got a question, we'd be happy to try to answer that. And if it's your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and say to you also, thanks for being part of our online experience. And you too can use that connection card to let us know anything that we might need to know. As we gather here, we want to share too, as we begin our weekend experience, that we're going to celebrate communion at the end of the message. We invite you to gather a small cracker, a piece of bread and some juice so you can be prepared when we get to that point. But together as we gather here, a couple things we want to share. I want to invite you to be part of our UVersion community. There's a link here in the worship notes. There's actually a QR code if you've got your phone and you want to take a picture. It'll open it up. And if you simply click on Make This My Church, we'll be able to stay connected. Uh, we're working through a common uh, Bible plan. And so it's just a way for us to build our community. It's just amazing that this free app called the Bible app, uh, YouVersion, has had over 500 million downloads, which is just extraordinary when you think about the impact of that. And I know here at Linden Road, it's been a huge tool for us to grow our spiritual community as we lean into our time apart during the week, as we want to encourage each other, as we chase a Bible plan or maybe an idea or a thought or even share a prayer. So again, would invite you to be part of that. And then also just want to remind you that coming up at the end of September, the last Saturday in September, we'll be hosting again... And again, at the end of September, we'll be hosting for the fourth time the National Day of Volunteer Youth Ministry Training. It's been an amazing opportunity for us to network locally here, but would encourage you just to check out this uh, promo video. These are
1: small gestures that let them know that being out of sight doesn't mean they're out of our
0: mind. How can you ramp up engagement, not only for the formation of teenagers, but because our congregations need what teenagers have to offer? I
2: think it's easy for this cultural message that we hear all the time of bigger is better to influence us as volunteer leaders who lose sight then that small can be significant. Friends, bigger isn't better. Better is better.
0: We're excited to host this amazing event again. It's such an incredible morning of networking and encouragement and we're all trying to figure out how to communicate better this faith that has been handed off to us, how we hand it off to the next generation. Wow. I know a lot of youth groups are kicking off right now and even had a chance Wednesday night to be part of the color war that our friends at the Mosaic Underground did just down the street. So cool just to see students engaged in Bible study and and then having some fun by throwing paint at each other. I mean, that's the thing, right? But it's so cool to be able to encourage others to help share the gospel with the next generation to be able to pass on our faith. What keeps you up at night? What is it that makes you worry? Uh, I know for many of us, it seems like it's the news, right? Uh, life goes well when we're on vacation and off the grid and not paying attention to the news. But, oh my goodness, every day there's the war, there's the unrest that we find in our communities. There's so many things. It may be for some what the next doctor appointment will bring. Or it could be the idea of keeping our children safe. It could be finances, how we're going to provide for our family. I just heard the natural gas prices are the highest they've been in 14 years. That They've gone up something like 51% in the last uh, six months. That's extraordinary and just how do we make that work? Some good news did come out this week, possibly, with the announcement of the forgiveness of the college loan debt. But still, there's lots of people. I know a number of young people that I've officiated weddings for over the years that they enter into that most amazing opportunity to be husband and wife, but they carry along a significant amount of college debt. that really is a stranglehold on their being uh, just able to do things uh, financially. And then we think about the worries about finding a job, or maybe you've lost your job. And maybe it's just all the things that are going on in the world that just continues to unsettle us. And, and maybe even as I made this list, you weren't worrying until I made the list. And now you're going, goodness, thanks, Tom. But I think there is this idea that worry will find us. We don't really have to go looking for it. It's going to come knocking on our door. And I know for me, part of the things that I worry about is in this current season is just getting it all done uh, between the work here at the church. I'm really glad for my kingdom ally here at the church, Dan Feldman. He and I have decided to split the responsibilities of mowing the church yard just to save some resources, but also to get some healthy steps in. But still, it's an hour and a half at least. And as I've mapped out a couple times, it's a couple miles by the time you get done mowing the backyard. Those things are all part of just how do we do life and as we think about the needs that we all have. And so thinking about mowing the yard for me or And some things I'm doing with some mentoring opportunities in the community with young people or working with some at-risk families, it just seems like there isn't enough time in the day. It doesn't seem like there's enough time in the day. And so I, I wanted to start with this idea, sort of the big idea this week, is this statement here. What we worry about the most often reveals where we trust God the least. Let me say that again. What we worry about the most often reveals where we trust God the least. Jesus in the Gospels and, and Matthew says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. You maybe want to repeat that with me. Do not worry about your life. Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? No. Or how about this quote from Corey Ten Boom? Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Again, let me share that. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And that's so true. We get so wrapped up in thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow that we can't really focus on what's in front of us right now. And so today, what I want to look at in this God Is series, I want to look at what I think is one of the most foundational questions for all of humanity. And it's this idea, is God trustworthy? So that's the question. But I want to state very clearly that God is trustworthy. And so I want to try to unpack what I mean by that. Let's head back to Genesis chapter 3. We sort of were there last week. And here we find in chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Think about that for a moment, because I think what the real question is being asked there is, Is God trustworthy? Is he really going to do what he said he's going to do? And so a few verses later, when Eve's in the garden, it says, verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. You see, Eve had a choice to make, just like each of us have a choice to make. In fact, when you think about it, I don't know how many choices we have to make in a single day, but I think it's thousands, right? And the real question that's being asked here is, am I going to trust God, or am I going to trust what I can see? And I think that's where this idea of who God is is so important for us to embrace that He is trustworthy because there's moments, and we've already been through some of those as we've lived the last couple of years especially, where we have to ask the question, am I going to trust God, or am I going to just trust what I can touch, what, what's in front of me? Am I going to trust God, or am I going to trust what I desire and what I need? Am I going to trust God, or am I going to trust what I can control even? The Psalmist writes in chapter sixty-two, verses seven and eight, My salvation and honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. You see, the psalmist understands this truth. So the psalmist that writes here, he understands the truth. And the truth that the psalmist understands is this is that God is trustworthy. That God is trustworthy. And maybe you ought to put that in the chat just to remind ourselves as we unpack this that that's a true statement about who God is. So what I want to do is unpack for you three reasons. I know there's probably a lot more, but three reasons specifically that how do we know that God is trustworthy? So let's begin with this first idea, God has been faithful before. There's this theme that runs throughout the Old Testament. It begins in Genesis and we find it in Exodus and Deuteronomy, we find it in the book of Psalms. And it shows up in the Minor Prophets, and the theme is repeated time and time again. And it's simply this, the word remember. Remember the command, right? Exodus chapter 13 says, And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you departed from Egypt, from the house of slavery, for by a powerful hand the Lord brought you out of this place. And it's important for us to do that. And we are people of remembrance, right? Right? I mean, what are they remembering? They're remembering the fact that when they cried out for mercy, those Israelites, that God heard their cries. Because you remember, as we find this conversation beginning, they've been in slavery for some 400 years, and it seems as though God has been distant. And yet, God is very clearly there, and he's sending Moses to rescue them. And then you'll remember that the rescue that comes, the deliverance, comes from the most powerful ruler, right, on the face of the earth at that time, through the process of 10 amazing plagues. So to remember those, as those were demonstrated. And then to remember the fact that when you got to the Red Sea, you know, as Moses was sent out with his people, that there was a wall of water when they got there, but then God parted the water. And they went across on dry land, the scriptures tell us. And then, and then God stopped the most powerful army on earth right there in its tracks. And then he says, remember when you got to the wilderness, God led you by a cloud by day and fire by night. And then when they were thirsty, he says, remember, God provided water. And then he says, remember, when you were hungry, God provided you manna. Do you remember that? So Moses is wanting us to remember that our God is trustworthy. Because he's done it before, and he can do it again. And that's the thing that gives us hope. So again, the Lord hears their cries. He delivers them out of Egypt. He shows them to a place where he meets them in the wilderness. And what's interesting is we walk through these stories, specifically of the Israelites as they move through God's showing up in the Old Testament narrative. They create these monuments along the way, these piles of rocks that basically marked a significant moment. It's that great hymn that we sing quite often, Come Thou Fount, where in the latter verse, it reminds us that here we raise our Ebenezer to mark where God has shown up. And so for us to be reminded that if he's done it before, he can do it again. Not only has God been faithful before, our second point is that God is faithful today. So here in Numbers chapter 14, Joshua says only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So their protection is gone, but he says the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. You see, Joshua understood something and what he understood was this, that his success, that our success even, isn't dependent upon what we see, our success is not dependent upon the size of the opposition, but that our success is dependent upon the presence of our God in our lives. It's true for them, and it's true for us. In the New Testament, the good news is what? He is with us, right? We talk about this often, especially at Christmas time. Emmanuel, the Jesus, God with us. And then we're reminded that Jesus says, Behold, I'm with you even until the end of the age, that he never will leave us and never forsake us. So God is trustworthy today, not because of the absence of problems, but because of the presence of God, that he's in it with us. So again, we know that God is trustworthy because he's been faithful before, and we know that God is trustworthy because he's faithful today. So our third point is that God will be faithful tomorrow. And so what I want to see here is to be reminded that sometimes we forget that the end has already been written. In Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, the Lord says to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Now, what's interesting here is, look at this, I have it underlined, is God didn't say, go see if I have the ability to give it to you. It's a done deal. It's marked out here as having been accomplished. So what needed to happen is they needed 12 men, one from each tribe. Now, what's interesting when we go through the list of names here, and what's interesting is I go through this list of names, and I want to see, just as you hear these names, tell me if you know anybody that goes by this. Shemua, Shaphat, Egil, Palté, Gadid, Gadai, and Amiel, Sether, Nafbi, and Guel. Now, it's interesting, that's 10 names, there's two names as you read to the list there in Numbers 13 that do pop out, the names you probably do know. Do you know a Caleb? Do you know a Joshua? Now, why is it that we know those names and we don't know the previous 10 that I mentioned? And when you read through the text here in the scriptures, nothing suggests that one name is more important than the other. But what's different about the list on the left versus the list on the right here? Well, I want to suggest that there's an understanding that Caleb had and that Joshua had, and actually maybe reflects where we find ourselves culturally. Because the truth is, 16.6%, and that's what Caleb and Joshua represent. The other 83% are sort of left clueless. And what we need to see here is that they, the 10 missed out on so much, and it was only the two tribes— because of what Joshua and Caleb had done, that enter into the fulfillment, and even the inheritance, if you will, the legacy of trusting God that he will provide. And it's interesting here, too, when we dive into chapter 14, in verse 24, we get an understanding of why Caleb was different, because he had a different spirit, and he was willing to follow God, he says. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, And his descendants will inherit it. And so we have a responsibility to lean into being faithful to what God is inviting us into. What I mean by that is this other list of 10, they were all leaders. Men who represented their tribes and yet we don't have a clue who they are. They're only mentioned here and then when they're forgotten. And the reason is, is because they didn't do what God wanted them to do. Which reminds us too that all of us have access to the same promises, but not everybody leans into it. And so why do some people inherit things in a good way and some not? Well, it's interesting, Paul says, and this may give some perspective in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 19 through 21, he says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. So what it really comes down to is that Caleb and Joshua placed their trust. They saw that God was trustworthy. I would encourage you here to continue in Numbers 13 and 14 as Moses sends them in to explore out the land, and the things they see are amazing, and then they come back. They do this 300-mile round trip. They have seen so much up to this point, remember, as we talked about in our first point. They had seen so much, and they've been brought out of slavery and bondage, and now God has protected them, and they've seen signs and wonders, and they've gotten the manna. And then some step in and some don't. And so I want to remind us in this season that what we focus on will then determine the perspective we take. Because I want us to be reminded that God isn't sending them to see if they're supposed to take the land. He's telling them to take the land and to operate from a perspective that he is trustworthy. Because, you see, that's how God works. That's because of what God has done, that's how faithful he is. And what's interesting in the rest of the story, at least in this particular part, is the other 10, as they were asked to report back what was going on, they were saying all sorts of things like we're overwhelmed, and. Well, here, verse 28, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. And we even saw descendants of the Anak there and the Amalekites live in Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country. And oh my, uh, the Canaanites live near the sea and along with the Jordan, right? And then it's interesting, Caleb, verse 30, he silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. I think to sum it up is this, is we hold the promise but too many times we look at the problems. And I realize it's a confusing time to live in. And this word, but, seems to be in the midst of all of our lives right now. The things are moving along in a particular way, but this happened, or that happened, you know, fill in that blank. What we need is to allow courage to replace our despair and to allow our faith to replace our fear. And to be reminded that it's not just about us, it's also about our descendants, about our legacy, about those that come behind us. So again, one of the reasons why we're doing the training at the end of September for area youth leaders is to try to better equip people to meet the needs of where kids find themselves today. I was in the jail this week and had a chance to speak with a young friend who I've known for a number of years and it was messy, it was complicated because what they're looking at is really, really complicated. And I didn't have much to offer, I thought, other than just just say these truths, that God's trustworthy. I don't know how he's going to work it out, and there's lots that's coming at this young man, and I'd ask you to pray for him, because I believe he has resolve, I believe he has capacity, I believe he has the ability, but he also has some, some darkness there that's coming against him. And so it's the promises of Scripture that can we can offer to each other and that's what I offered him as we talked and I prayed with him and then it comes to this uh, finally out of Revelation chapter 21 he says I, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying look God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And then it says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said this, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So if you're a follower of Jesus, the end of your story has already been written. And there may be some of us who are saying, You know what? That's amazing and awesome, and I believe that, that God is trustworthy. And you can see his faithfulness, in the past, and yes, I know that he's faithful because he's with me today, and okay, I know that he will be faithful in the future. I know all that, but what about this thing that I'm worried about? What about if whatever it is happens, like my young friend, the thing that he's pushing through? Here's what God says in Isaiah 46.4. He says, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you, and I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. Or Jesus says in John chapter 14, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust God, and trust also in me. So Jesus says that he's trustworthy, that he's been faithful before, and that he's faithful today, and that he's with us, and that he will be faithful in what the future brings. So the question I have for you is not what keeps you up at night as we began our conversation today, is what's what are you holding on to? And So let's pray. God, as we think about all these things, uh, we know and are grateful to be reminded how trustworthy you are. So as we lean into what tomorrow may bring and the worries that may be present right now, we want to boldly say that we trust you. And we lean on these words to give us hope and to secure our hearts to you as we walk closer to being fully devoted followers of your Son, Jesus. And we pray this in your strong name. Amen. As we continue our worship, let's first lean into the great hymn, Come Thou Fount, to be reminded of all the good things that God has done, and then we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So gather your elements.
2: Flaming tongues above praise thy mountain fixed upon its mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise mine ever knees hither the by the Like a fetter, bind my wand.
1: in the road. Thank you for joining us this Sunday morning for communion. We are uh, Lynn and Dan Feldman, if you don't know us. This is the joyful feast of the people of God. People will come from east and west, from north and south, to sit at the table of the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus on the night of his arrest took bread and after giving thanks to God he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying take eat this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you in the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes again. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day, for this time together to enjoy communion in remembrance of your sacrifice for us. We ask your blessings on this church and on the people and that you would help us to stay upon the path that you have set before us this day and every day. Love you and the blessings that you bestow upon us and these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's the body of Christ given for you. The body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. The blood of Christ is shed for you. Please join us in the Lord's Prayer Our Father, who art, art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy, thy name. Thy, thy kingdom, kingdom come. come.
0: Thanks for being with us today. We're so glad that you found time. And as you lean into the week ahead, may you be reminded that you've been blessed to be a blessing. Go forth and serve Jesus Christ in his name. Amen.